The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. Uh, I am hoping everyone is having as wonderful of a day as I am here in Washington. Uh, The sun is shining. It's cool weather. And we have another couple of uh, fine days in the fall. I uh, today's program is continuing on with the uh, theme that I've I've had for several weeks, talking about museums and the digital age and the challenges and opportunities. And today I wanted to drill down a little bit more and talk specifically about social media. Uh, it uh, is the the new thing. Uh, it's been the new thing. It probably will stay around uh, the way we. Uh, it's affecting the way we communicate with our friends and our neighbors, uh, and people all around the world. And so, with that in mind, uh, I felt that it was appropriate, and certainly one of the best people to talk about this subject is uh, my colleague Jasper Visser. Uh, Jasper is joining us from the Netherlands today. Uh, you know, the power of, uh, it just shows the power of uh, the technological age that we live in uh, and also really convenient time zones. Uh, it's about four o'clock where Jasper is. Now, Jasper is a change agent, an innovator, a facilitator. Uh, he specializes in culture, heritage, and arts. Um, and he has over 10 years of international experience. He helps institutions deal with challenges, formulate strategies for the future, and build successful teams. Jasper focuses on digital strategies, new media and technology, audience development, and innovative business models. Now, and you have to love a consultant whose website is inspiredbycoffee.com. So, Jasper, I have a cup with me right now. I hope you have one, and welcome to the show today. Thank you very much, Carol. It's a great honor and pleasure to be here. Actually, I'm um, thinking about taking a glass of wine in a bit because we're almost in the weekend, as you said, very convenient uh, time zones. I'm happy to be on your show. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, we don't allow drinking during the show, so wait an hour. <laughs> um, Jasper, I, 
I have just done the briefest of introductions uh, to our audience, and uh, if you would be kind enough to sort of share with our audience just a little bit about your tra- uh, career trajectory, I, I ask all of my uh, my guests to do that. Uh, we have many, many listeners who are just beginning their uh, museum careers, uh, their, their students uh, in museum uh, programs or thinking about going into uh, museum work, and I find it very instructive if uh, our guests sort of, you know, give a little bit of background about themselves, and if you could do it also within sort of the framework of of what experiences have really propelled you along your career journey. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I, I, I really like this question, and I like the answer Coven Smith gave a couple of weeks ago, I guess, and that there's no direct way to become what you are, so I'll, it'll be a... a a bumpy, a bumpy story, a little bit, but I'll I'll try it anyway. Um, I guess I've always been interested in 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 technology and 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 new media. Um, I remember very well when I was fifteen years old, which is about uh, twenty years back now. I developed a social network. This was the early days of the internet, and I thought it would be a a good good idea to build a a website where people could connect with each other and and send messages. Um, unfortunately, at the time, the fifth user uh, abused the system, and I, I kind of grew bored of it. Um, and I'm, I'm still sometimes waking up and thinking, what if? What if I continued that idea and, you know, had built Facebook, but then before Mark Zuckerberg was even born? We would have been having an entirely different conversation right now, I guess. Um, I would so be talking with your senior, senior, senior assistant, Jasper. So, in a way, it's nice <laughs> that I can reach you directly. All right. Yeah. So... That, that that didn't really work well, but I, I guess I've always been interested in in how technology uh, influences society, and especially uh, how you can use technology and and new media to make a positive change to the world we we live in right now. I've done this um, in many different fields. I've been a UNDP and World Bank consultant on technology and gender issues. Um, I've worked uh, a lot with NGOs. And about five or six years ago, uh, I've been asked to join a, a, a museum team for the first time. So I'm relatively new to the field, but um, over the past six years, I've been learning a lot about museums and, and uh, working with them and always uh, looking at opportunities for new media and technologies such as social media, our topic today, to change museums and, 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 and help them change their um, uh, the world they, they, they operate in uh, for the better, basically. So, um, a bit of chaotic ride, but I, I arrived, finally. Well, that's a, that's a great story, Jasper, and, and uh, I've, we've had several guests on the show who you know, consider themselves relatively new to the museum field, but in fact, uh, I think we sometimes gain our, our greatest insights through people who have been, you know, quote, outsiders for a little bit and can uh, help us uh, uh, look at our assumptions a little, little bit better and, and give us some new insights. So I'm thrilled that with your background, you have uh, turned to museums. Now, one of the things that I've got to ask you, because the last time um, I heard one of your presentations, we ironically had some technological glitches. <laughs> and so I never got the answer to the promise that you made. And that is, what are the 18 facts that will change my life? 
<laughs> right. Yeah, that was at the. Uh, uh, can I can I call the organization? I don't know about. Yes. Yes. Of yeah, course yeah, you the can. NMC, the NMC virtual conference, and surprisingly enough, I guess because we were in the middle of summer, um, somewhere the network got overheated. Uh, if you want them all, eighteen, I can um, go right now. But I guess the first one is is the main one, and also a theme you've uh, uh, been touching upon over the past couple of episodes is that. Um, so fact number one, changes in technology always represent larger developments in um, society. And, and that was the framework around which I, I did that talk. So uh, I know today we're talking about social media, but what I guess is especially interesting is to explore not necessarily how we can use Facebook and, and Twitter, but how actually the uh, uh, rise of these networks and, and the opportunities they give to people uh, what the changes are they represent in society and, and how they impact um, not just the way people communicate with each other and with organizations like museums, but also maybe the very core of what it means to be a museum in the 21st um, century. That is, uh, that's a powerful statement. Uh, why don't you give us a couple more facts and then let's circle back around to, because I think that, that this is at the, literally at the core of our conversation today, is that uh, while, you know, social media, whether, whether we're using Facebook, Twitter, or whether we're going to Foursquare or some other kind of, of communication tool, the tools may change, but the way we communicate is probably uh, there for forever. And, and I think it is in, impacting uh, or should impact uh, the very core of, of how we, we see ourselves as museum professionals and then even who our audience is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, th- I think a, a good way to, to well, you're asking for facts, but I like stories. Um, so I, I, may, I may tell you a story instead of some facts. Um, I, I guess what we're seeing a lot is that, and, and this is maybe from a European perspective, but I know that, that institutions in, in the U.S. Are, are facing similar issues, is that because society, and especially because politics has changed, we're facing um, economical hardships, uh, Budgets are cut. Um, it's harder to find funding um, just around the corner, uh, and institutions are are struggling to keep their doors um, open. And what you see, uh, and especially here in Europe, where we've been through maybe one of the worst crises we've ever had in the continent, is that um, there's two types of responses uh, institutions have. And the one is to do it the old-fashioned way, top-down, um, hire a good board of directors, have them talk to the key influencers, the main the politicians, um, big funders, and, and try and survive by, by getting these big donations in through the door. And, well, they're succeeding for now, and, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad approach. But what you see when you go to these institutions is that they may have their doors open, but there's not a whole lot of people coming through these doors. On the other hand, you have a small number of institutions and, and um well, I, I can name some examples from Italy and from the Netherlands as well, where they've taken the other approach. Rather than asking a lot of money from some people, ask not that much money from a lot of people. And what you see, for instance, in um, one of my favorite cases, which is the Palazzo Madama, a very small institution in uh, Turin in Italy, where they chose this approach, is that simply by asking the audience to participate in purchasing uh, a piece, an object for their exhibition, something they really wanted to have 
on display in the museum. And by inviting over 1,500 people to participate, um, rather than having this one big donor who keeps the doors open, now they have 1,500 small donors who feel deeply embedded in the organization, who feel engaged with it, and who actually come all the time and make it a lively place. This change itself has very little to do with um, social media, although they use Twitter and Facebook to um, generate the buzz, the social buzz around what in basically is a crowdfunding campaign. But I think if you look at the Palazzo Madama or many of these other examples, what you see is that these are institutions that use social media thinking to achieve real-world um, goals. And I guess, yeah, personally, I love it when you work with 1,500 people rather than with two very rich people. Um, but this is, this is, I guess, the, the, the change we're seeing and, and, and something I'm deeply um, uh, enthusiastic about. That's that is a a, a very rich and, and and good story, and I know you write a uh, uh, go into quite a bit of detail uh, about that particular uh, uh, case study on on your blog, and so I hope uh, our audience will then have a chance to to read that as well. And uh, this I think is a great time uh, before we get into uh, you know our next uh, bit of conversation about uh, social media. We're going to take our first break of the show and uh, we will be back in just a couple of minutes uh, with Jasper and we'll talk a little bit uh, much more actually on uh, how we can how museums really really need to embrace uh, social media beyond it just being the next new shiny thing so we will be back in just a moment remember if you want to uh, send a, a, a tweet during this conversation you can do that uh, I am at Muse Right. Uh, so we will be back in just two minutes. This is Carol Bossert with Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. 
To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I am here with Jasper Visser. And right before our break, we were uh, Jasper had given us a wonderful story about how a museum in Italy had uh, really brought 15,000 people uh, in its community together to focus on the purchase of an object for the collection. And in a way, I provided uh, the entire community having ownership with uh, to that object and to the museum, and it and it uh, increased a lot of lot of buzz and a lot of interest. And of course, when I use words like buzz and interest and and other marketing terms, I I know that uh, uh, directors, museum professionals will perk up their ears and say, "How can I get that buzz and all that interest for my my museum?" And and you know, Jasper and I during the break were sort of uh, you and I were talking that it's more than that and if you said I could quote you so I'm going to you said that you know in a way museums are being very lazy in their use of of social media Uh, and so before we you know get a whole lot of tweets from people telling us that we're terrible why don't you um, give you just let's talk a little bit more about how uh, social media really can be used for uh, greater good and how museums might be start to look at this beyond just as a marketing tool yeah so thank you yeah Um, I guess when people start tweeting angrily that 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 they're not lazy that that's more than proof enough that they aren't lazy (laughs) so they're on the good side and and um, being Dutch I might I might occasionally say very rude things that's in my um, national DNA but um Regardless, or, or, or focusing on, on why, what do I mean with, with being lazy is that if you um, look at some of the best practices we've seen with social media over the past years, and especially if you look into areas that I guess are super important, so not marketing of Coca-Cola or any of the other big brands, but if you look at peace building efforts, etc., you may remember uh, this campaign from the Peace Factory where they had posters from, for instance, people from Israel saying, Iranians, we will never bomb your country. And how this went viral on, on Facebook, I guess this is about two years ago, where real people were building real peace using social uh, tools. And I think if you, if you have the potential to use social media for peace building, but also if you have the potential to use social media, as they did in Italy, to raise funds for your uh, museum, and if you have the potential to really engage people and make their lives better, it's kind of lazy to use social media to push your um, uh, agenda or your your next events to the people who accidentally follow you. So I think there's there's a lot of potential there to um, do more than have an interactive discussion about what your uh, what's on what's on display and and the next lecture you'll have uh, and and um, you know what 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 a curator does, I guess we can actually use these tools to do the things we as cultural institutions are um, invented for. It is to either educate an audience or grow their passion for art or, well, look at the enormous variety of mission statements. And if they were all true, 
you'd be super happy and, and we'd be living in a wonderful world. That's that is a very very good point. The that um, I I think that one of the things I've noticed in in social social media and of course I'm I am relatively new to this uh, and so I sometimes feel that I'm am an outsider uh, looking in. But there is you can sniff out authenticity and you can sniff out uh, you know a marketing uh, uh, a piece a, a mile away. And I think most people who are invested in these in these uh, social organizations really uh, want authentic uh, conversations with with the institution or with the organization. Uh, and I would think uh, that that would give us give museums an opportunity to not to avoid the trap of you know. Not maybe investing so much, you know, maybe they invest in Facebook, but maybe Facebook isn't going to be the next best thing. Maybe it's going to be something else. And it's almost as if they're, they're chasing, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're chasing what I call the new, new best shiny thing and instead need to be asking themselves some deeper questions. Definitely, I guess. I guess you're very right there. Although I disagree with one of your one thing you said, and that is that you're relatively new to this to this game, to the social media game. And um, I guess that is not true because in, if you you may be new to the tools such as Twitter and and Facebook, but you've been a quite you've had a quite successful career. And and the reason probably you you've had such a career is because you've been able to connect with people and and build relationships with them that in the end generated value and and on a personal level this is super clear to understand and I guess also an institutional level um, there's a clear message here and that is that uh, museums and, and heritage institutions and cultural institutions I believe by their very nature are social um, they show the story of people often present a collection that was once owned by real people unless you're maybe a royal palace. And then even um, there's lots of opportunities to really connect with uh, people. So by the very nature, they're social, much more social than a, a soda brand or a um, oil company trying to make a connection with its audience, where the relationship is much more on a, a quid pro quo uh, basis. I give you gas, you give me money. So in a way, I don't think we're very new to this um, game, but I think we may be distracted by the shininess of the tools we're handed and by the stories uh, people like myself tell pe- tell um, our audience, like, you can get 1,500 people to donate, but it's in the end, it's not about having 1,500 people donate a bit of money, it's about using your uniqueness, your authenticity, as you say, um, to connect with a local community, but just using other tools than we have been using in the past and by using these new tools maybe getting some more leverage or broadening or potential audience because rather than just talking to the local community we're now also talking to people in Japan and Australia and um, yeah well other very nice countries so I, I don't think you're new to the game I just think the tools are new that's uh, thank you for making making that point uh, and uh, I'm 
I am really intrigued with with your statement that museums are social uh, institutions. I think we often call ourselves many things. We call ourselves uh, educational institutions, preservation institutions. We often don't use that word social. And does in your definition, does that also mean, you know, when we talk about social uh, engagement, uh, usually that's not one-sided, right? It's definitely not, no. So I guess a very nice example here is, is often when I work with organizations, um, one of the first things we do is we look at um, those moments where they're already connecting with their audience in a more meaningful way than selling tickets or... Um, yeah, well, basically selling tickets. And what you find if you walk through an institution on, on various moments of the day and of the week, you'll find that it's been used for much more and, and in much more social contexts than uh, you may um, uh, expect in advance. And, and one of the, and I always use this example because I think it's a, it's a great example. In a uh, museum in Brussels, we where we went to do a workshop, we figured, for instance, out that because they have such a wonderful venue, people came there um, to get out of the rain. And that it might sound like a very uh, odd thing, and it's, it's definitely not something you, as a museum, put in your mission statement to provide people shelter against the rain. But if you think about it, these people choose to go into a museum and not into a store or, or, or uh, into a car or anywhere else to get out of the rain. And so... It's a two-way, um, uh, there's a two-way thing going on here. And what I guess is that a lot of museums are too narrowly focused on their own story to see that they're actually part of the stories of so many other people. And if I then am I'm, I'm allowed to, to tell another uh, nice story, I guess the best museum story I've heard in, in years is the reinvention of the Derby Silk Mill in Derby, the site of the oldest factory in the world where after the museum had been struggling for quite a while with old exhibitions, uh, they managed to reinvent the place, not by doing a top-down process where they said, so we get in interactives and we hire a social media uh, manager and we're going to pimp this museum and, and make it 21st century-like, but where they said, okay, so if we are an institution in the oldest factory in the world, then we're about design, we're about manufacturing, we're about tools, we're about having people invent stuff, why don't we tap into those communities and the things that are already happening around these topics in Derby and invite them to come into the museum and, and redefine both their role within our walls and our role in their community um, from the perspective of what is already happening. And what you see there is that this is not a social media story. But it's a social institution story where uh, if you just go to their Tumblr and you look at the photos, it's amazing. You want to have that sort of engagement and that amount of visitors in any museum in the world. So, so I, uh, so that I understand. Um, so they brought in. Uh, uh, they had identified. Uh, com- uh, Subcommunities within their larger community that that connected with them, you know, somehow because, as you say, uh, design or or uh, innovation or technology, and then um, 
what how did, how what was their next level of in, what was the institution's next level of engagement with people did they actually you know did they just talk to them through social media or did they actually uh, bring them into the walls of the institution they brought them into the walls of the institution what what, what happened is in, in in a series of events um, starting with a two day event they just emptied the museum bare walls nothing in there and they said imagine what this place could be and anyone with a good idea could come there, providing they turn this idea into reality. Um, and what happened then, and, and I think that's, that's, if you look at the photos, that, that's quite amazing, is that people came in bringing so much knowledge and skills and energy that they, for instance, even designed the cases for the future exhibitions, which they also designed within the walls of the museum, making it not just a, you could say they crowdsourced absolutely everything, and there's even one photo, and I've never heard the story behind it, I have to ask, maybe one day, where they have post-its on a door that, that ask, does this door really have to be here? And they've turned the, the collaborative, the, let's say, social media thinking, where um, you don't talk down on people, but you have an honest and, and fair dialogue with each other into the basis for the entire uh, institution, including uh, the brick-and-mortar building. That's fascinating. Uh- <laughs> I I challenge um, a museum in the U.S. to uh, uh, to do something similar. Uh, you know, we we have had in museums, of course, there's there's a long history of talkback walls uh, where you can you know post a comment about you know a, an issue or a concern that you have. But I don't know of any institution that has actually asked for visitors' opinion about their actual uh, architecture, building, or uh, programming that they're they're doing. And so I, I uh, in such a direct way, uh, I'm, I really I'm sure there are though. I'm I'm I'm, pretty sh- I'm, I'm almost certain that. Um, of course, there are great examples uh, from the U.S. Where, where, where museums have become super participatory. And, and I guess we all know uh, Nina Simon's uh, uh, super great experiments in, in the museum, what is it, of art and history of Santa Cruz? Um, yes. Uh, which are exemplary to, I guess, the entire museum world. But I'm pretty sure that somewhere else in the U.S. as well, a small local institution is doing exactly this. Um, because they're and they're doing it because they're a social institution by nature, and they're not distracted by oh we have to be on Facebook and oh we have to be on Twitter, and as long as we're on Facebook and Twitter, we can check the box that says audience engagement. Um, that, <laughs> so, sorry, this may be a very European approach, but here if you if you if you go for public money, and of course we're much more publicly funded than than in the U.S. Um, in your proposals, there's, there used to be, and I guess there still is, really a box that says, how do you do your audience engagement? And as long as you said there, social media, uh, it'd be all right. Oh, <laughs> um, I think we probably have some of those boxes as well, maybe not so obviously. Um, but so let's just uh, end it there just for a moment. Uh, we're going to take another uh, very brief break. And when we come back, uh, Jasper and I are going to continue to, to talk a little bit more about social engagement and his social engagement framework that I think will be useful for all of us. So please stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. Uh, this is Carol Bossert, and you're listening to Museum Life.
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. And remember, if there's anything that you would like Jasper to respond to, you can also uh, send me a tweet at uh, at MuseWrite. That's W-R-I-T-E. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll try to uh, uh, talk about that as well. But Jasper, um, right before we went to break and while we were talking, you know, I, I think that that this i this concept that museums are inherently social organizations and as as that uh, they need to use whatever tools make sense to them uh, to in, engage with their audience whether uh, you know whether it's the old-fashioned way of uh, having people come into the museum and having a conversation or whether it's it's using uh, Twitter or Tumblr or Foursquare or, or whatever it is it's not the uh, technology as much as it is the the true uh, desire to communicate and and have a conversation am I I'm stating that correctly I guess I guess you are yeah that 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 sounds like um, exactly the way it should be and I think also in, in addition to that um, I think we're super good at it as well uh, because we have the best possible content um, 
it's content that resonates with people, hopefully. Otherwise, we uh, have to really rethink our collections. But um, it, it's much easier for uh, an institution like a museum, I guess, to connect on a deeper level with its audience than, as I said before, it is for a brand um, uh, or, or, uh, or maybe even for a school because we have stuff that nobody else has. And that's that's kind of good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to sort of go off script here for a minute. So, so bear with me. But I think that that's a, a it's a good statement in that we we do have uh, we are keepers of the stuff of our culture and of our history of our natural history. Uh, you know whether we're talking about uh, uh, the world before humans were were involved or the world where after after uh, humans have have been involved in the world. But you know one of the challenges that I think all organizations face, whether it's a wonderful school, whether it is a peace organization, whether it's a museum, is sort of getting above the the noise. I mean, there is so much information out there. There are so many people talking. I mean, I know in my own uh, inbox uh, or on my Twitter feed, I could spend probably half the day following up links and reading articles and talking to people. I mean, how do how can museums and perhaps some of the museums that you're engaged with how how can they not only get their message out there, but making sure make sure that 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 people can hear it, given everything else they're involved with. So this is actually this is of course a super big challenge uh, lots of people are facing. And, and the, the, the bad thing here, I guess, or the, the bad news here is that um, while we're fighting for people's attention, we're competing with organizations that have much more resources uh, than we do. So we're up against multi-billion dollar marketing budgets um, that try and get people's uh, attention away from what we want them to focus on. So this is actually a great deal of, of the time I spend with organizations is, is trying to find these messages that resonate with um, the audience. And, and, and quite often, just to give you uh, an example of, of what happens, is that you'll come into an organization and, and see that they're active on maybe five or six or seven different channels, a newsletter, they're on Facebook and Twitter, they're also producing a, a, a quarterly uh, e-magazine and, and they'll have this whole range of, of channels trying to um, make so much noise that they're heard. And what we quite often discover after working together for a while is, is that rather to then increasing the noise and, and adding more channels and just repeating whatever you say more often, it's a much better approach to narrow them down and pick one or two channels, really focus on these and use them in a super smart way and that you get more results by narrowing down the amount of noise you make and, and have more people respond to it than by opening up um, more channels to add more noise. So, so less is more here, I guess. And, and that's a cliche in a way. It doesn't mean that you invest less. I guess it means you invest differently in different uh, channels. And, and I guess the main channel there, not to overlook, is everything that is physical rather than digital. I'm sorry, what do you mean by that? I mean by that, that is, if you go, like one of the projects I've, I've been involved uh, in, in, in a couple of years ago already, where we had a lot of audience engagement, it was about material culture. So 
really collecting daily stuff, daily, what, what people still use. And rather than, of course, we had a social campaign, social media campaign, but the best results we got when we went to markets, to fairs, to shopping malls, everywhere where people were engaging with material culture, and we approached them there uh, with a short conversation, <clears throat> with a physical, um, through physical media, so to say, offline media. There's, there's lots of different words you can choose for that, but not through Facebook or uh, Twitter. You know, wow, that, that truly is a, a back-to-the-future statement for me. Certainly 25 years ago when I was working in Newark, that's exactly what we did when we wanted to do outreach to the community. That meant we went out to the community. Uh, it's And and I think that this the, the point that, that you're making, uh, particularly, I mean, particularly someone in your position who, who is an expert in digital media, uh, to be able to say, one, you don't have to do it all, you don't have to check every single box that ever existed, and find the ways that make most sense for your organization and for your community. I guess this is, you've, you've exactly said the one thing, I guess, is, is and I'm not around long enough to, to, to know about how it was in the past, but it's outreach, and it's outreach in a traditional sense, and, and there's one museum in the Netherlands, uh, Rotterdam Museum, the, the City Museum of Rotterdam, or Second City, um, where they have an urban curator, and I think it's just, first of all, it's the best job description in the world, and, and second of all, what, what this person does is, is literally get on her bike, because we're still Dutch, and drive around town looking for um, things that are happening in the town that are relevant to the museum and making connections with these communities, with the people who are actually um, doing this stuff. People you may never connect with through social media, but who, if you, if you connect with them, and I call it physically because I hate offline because it makes it sound like a lesser version of the online version. So if you connect with them in traditional ways, um, the, and you then leverage the energy you create there in, in the real world, through social media and with digital tools, that's nobody can stop you. And, and as museums, being also, apart from social, organizations rooted in, in physical objects and, and, and uh, etc., we're su- super equipped to do that, that sort of projects. That's wonderful. Uh, I, I wow, I love I love that story. And there are lots of other places that use bicycles as well. Uh, so maybe that will give uh, inspire uh, a young bicyclist uh, here in Washington to uh, uh, to get out into the community. Um, we are going to take one more very brief break, uh, and when we return, uh, Jasper is going to uh, tell us a wonderful story about how the digital framework came about. And so we will be back in just a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com 
Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. Uh, this is Carol Bossert, and uh, you're listening to Museum Life. I'm here with uh, Jasper Visser. And Jasper, in our last uh, about you know, nine, nine and a half minutes together, could you tell us the story about the digital uh, engagement framework that you developed, uh, you know, how it sort of came about and how you use it? Definitely, yeah. I, I, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, so the digital engagement framework is... is a framework I, uh, I developed together with Jim Richardson, a business associate uh, from the United Kingdom. Um, basically what it is, is, is after working with institutions for, for quite a long while, the both of us, we were getting the same questions over and over again. Many of the questions we've touched upon today uh, as well. And at the same time, we saw lots of institutions struggling with making sense of engagement in a digital uh, age. So what we did is, and this is already two years ago, on the on the back of a, uh, a, a, a small piece of paper, we drafted a, a, a model inspired maybe by the business model canvas that that most people know to structure all these questions. So which which are the ones you need to ask uh, first, and then and then what do you do with the answers, and and how does that fit together to make some sense out of of this digital world with all its engagement and all its tools, and we. Um, we took that out into the world. We started running workshops. We uh, released everything we did under a Creative Commons license, which allowed other people to uh, work with it as well. And by now, we're, I guess, in our, into our third revision of the, of the framework. Uh, by now, over hundreds of people have contributed their thoughts and their ideas over email and blog posts and forums, um, taking their practice from applying this framework in their organization um, Sending, giving us back what worked, what didn't work, and, and we used all that then to come up with a better framework. And I don't, I don't think it's perfect yet, 
but it's three steps better than it was when we first made our first draft. Um, and that's thanks to, uh, yeah, well, hundreds of people working in cultural institutions and other institutions around the world. We're all trying to find the answer to the question. So how, as an organization, um, a cultural organization or a, or a heritage organization, how do we truly become social and successful in a world that's disrupted by digital um, technologies. I always have to say as a sort of disclaimer, it's a framework. So a framework only is as good as, as the energy and the creativity you put into it. Um, but I know from having run literally, I guess, 100 workshops with the framework by now, that if you work with cultural institutions, the input is almost always good enough to have great results. That's that's interesting. I I, uh, I want to go back to something that that you just said really really uh, pricked in my ears, and that is uh, that uh, how how do you be how are you how can you uh, how can you be social in a world that is disrupted by by uh, digital media? What do you mean by the word disrupted? Yeah, what, I guess it's a buzzword. <laughs> Sorry if we're using it here. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but what what I mean is is if you look at if you look at the practice of, 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 of many, let's say, established 19th century established institutions, and not necessarily only museums, but I guess I, I start quite some of my, my presentations with an excerpt from Downton Abbey. I hope you know the show. Otherwise, yes. I recommend you watch it, where you see in the first season there all of a sudden the British aristocracy is confronted with a telephone and all the, you know, kind of like shocking events that, that came out of that. And... What we're seeing right now is, is a very similar response uh, within institutions to many of the things of the 21st century. And um, when I say digital, I guess I mean not just the real digital technologies, but uh, what Coven called digital values, so the sharing economy, um, open, open uh, data, all these, all these buzzwords that you keep hearing and going around. Um, they're upsetting traditional ways of doing business and that's not um, not all organizations know how to respond to that well enough so the framework is if you really look at it at its core the framework is meant to help organizations survive this um, digital disruption but yeah with disruption it's just I, I don't think to me it's not a disruption to me it's just business as usual but I'm I guess I'm a digital native and that gives me an unfair advantage to many uh, many in working in our field yes no and uh, I think that's a good point and the other point I think you made is, is and is equally valid disruptive is not a negative term uh, as we know I, as a scientist I know that disruption uh, can uh, invoke change uh, and change then moves moves things uh, in a different direction uh, with and without judgment. But it it really is what does uh, fuel change. And we are in a, in a world uh, in the museum world where we are going to be forced. We are forced to change. And for some of us that don't like change, that's very uncomfortable. Uh, but it just because we're uncomfortable doesn't mean that we're going to stop it. No, but at the, at the same time, I think we should always all be careful with change because I think the reality is that um, this is not just window dressing. Um, the change we're talking about is is real, as all change is always real. But the if you don't 
do if you're not serious about what is going on right now, um, you may cease to exist in the next ten years. That has always been true. The point is, I guess, right now, um, failure has become much more visible and much more um, rapid as well as as the, the the disruption is coming faster. So even though you know there's all these it's a very real thing to a lot of people and it's it's about losing jobs and and unfortunately in europe over the past years when times were really hard uh, lots of people have lost their jobs because they weren't able to have their institution respond to the new realities so it's um it's a good thing but there is also a real a real threat here maybe a very negative message so at the end of our conversation and i don't didn't want to do that at all no 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 i i i i hear exactly what you were saying and i think that it is it is incredible uh we we have been at a time uh throughout the world uh, where we did hit a significant uh economic downturn it was shocking to many of us uh and now that we're coming out on the other end of it, it is a question of, well, business as normal is never going to be quite the same way it was before. And as I, I often say, I say to my clients, and I've said on this show, you know, there will never be enough money to do everything we want to do. There will never be enough staff. There will never be enough resources. Uh, and that is business as usual. So you can't use those things as excuses. You have to say, this is the normal. Now, what it is, what is it that I really want to do? And, you know, sort of, sort of circling back around to what you said at the very beginning of the show, which is, you know, how the question is, how can we use these digital tools to make uh positive and lasting change and I think that that uh, I would hope is one of the key questions on your digital framework it is it is and and I've seen so many examples of of, of institutions doing that and and uh, that that's always really inspiring and, and that that uh, whenever I hear a case to be like that I'm always encouraged to uh, just pour a little bit more energy again into into everything we're doing because there's such an incredible potential to make the world a little bit better. Uh, and I, I, I would, uh, the other point uh, that is, of course, here is that we can, the, the strength of these digital technologies is, is that we can make an impact around the world. Uh, we we can make an impact in our local community, but sometimes that impact uh, can be felt around the world, and that is extremely powerful. As you were talking about the uh, the peace factory uh, example, yeah. In 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 about two or three weeks, I'm I'm heading back to the uh, uh, Balkans where I'm participating with some organizations who are doing uh, post conflict resolution in in the area through heritage and cultural institutions and um, this is uh, I think this is already I know this is going to be one of the highlights of my year because there in the field you can actually see uh, the impact um, heritage and culture can have um, and, and one of the greatest things is that even though there's no you know there's hardly an internet connection there so people aren't posting on Instagram in real life what they're doing but they're still using and they're able to use the same things we've talked about through this show and you've talked about in past shows that are really high tech and and out there in front of everybody else but on a very social um, scale and it's always very sobering to see that even if you only have a hundred dollars you can 
really make an impact if you leverage your tools, etc. That uh, uh, I I hope you come back on the show after the your Balkans visit and give us an update. I think that will be sobering and important of uh, for all of us. And so I want to leave the show with those those very important words. And uh, and thank you, Jasper, for being on the show today. Uh, it's been very insightful. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, to talk with you. Thank you. And uh, we will be back next week uh, for another edition of uh, Museum Life. And I uh, uh, hope you stay tuned. Remember, you can always listen to the shows that you may have missed during the week uh, on our podcast. Uh, so, again, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.